Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, this morning, let me share with you what we're going to begin doing. Uh, we're going to take a minor prophet. His name is either Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Actually, we don't even know how to pronounce his name, so I'm going to go with Habakkuk because it, it sounds better. Anyways, we're going to walk through this minor prophet and really ask the question, um, how do you walk with God when life is wrecked? And maybe that has been your experience. Maybe that's not where you are today. But in the path of discipleship and in following Jesus, all of us are going to walk through days where life doesn't make sense. And to be honest, God doesn't make sense. And more than that, God may seem silent. He may seem absent. And we ask the question, as Habakkuk does, God, why? How long do we have to wait? Why do you allow injustice? Why do you allow violence and oppression? You say that you're good. You say that you're powerful. Father, you say you're at work in our lives. What does it mean to walk with you through times of adversity and difficulty? What Habakkuk allows us to do is to learn to walk with God when life is wrecked. Now, again, we don't know a lot about this minor prophet Habakkuk. He's only mentioned in his own book. He's not mentioned throughout the rest of the Old Testament. He may be a prophet in the temple. There's definitely some signs that he knew a lot about music and worship, but we don't know a lot about him. What we do know is that he was a prophet in the Southern Kingdom, which was called Judah. Uh, After Solomon, King Solomon, the two uh, tribes, kind of two divisions of Israel broke up. Israel was to the North and Judah was to the South. Eventually, We don't know what happens to Israel. They get taken off into captivity and Judah remains. And Habakkuk lived during this great time of prosperity under King Josiah, who loved God and made a lot of reforms to put God at the center of the nations and the people's lives. Now, Josiah dies. And with Josiah, all these great God-honoring traditions die with him. And the nation of Israel falls into moral and social decay. And Habakkuk is a prophet that's asking God, why did you allow me to live in such times? Why did you allow me to live in a day when good things were good and suddenly those good things were taken from me and now I see and I reap the experience of all of these things going wrong. God, what are you doing? So we're gonna jump through this. I wanna encourage you this week to read through the prophets. It's a short book, uh, but the process that he goes through is one that I think we could learn a lot from. So let's jump into the story, Habakkuk chapter one. We're gonna pick it up in verse one. The word of the Lord. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise and so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and so justice goes forth perverted. And God answers in verse five, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And in verse 12, Habakkuk responds, God, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Habakkuk asks asks some important questions. How long, O Lord? 
There has to be an end. There has to be a limit to what we can endure. And then he asks another question that I imagine many of us ask in times of difficulty is simply why. There must be a reason behind this. And, and I think what is, what is really on his heart, what's greater than and sometimes just the philosophic question is the fact that Habakkuk is crying out to God and God himself seems to be distant. His place of comfort, his place of consolation, his place of joy, he turns to God, he sees all this brokenness in life and yet when he runs into God's presence, God also seems silent and he's asking, you know, God, where are you? And as we follow Christ, as we follow God in times of difficulty, we need to learn how do we respond? What does it look like to walk with God when life itself is a mess. And maybe that's where you are today. It could be where people that you're, you love are today. It could be where we're gonna be in, in months or maybe it's where you have been, but it's important for us when it comes to our walk with God to understand how do we walk through these times. And understand, you know, Habakkuk's not a third string quarterback. This is not a new believer. This isn't a guy who just came on the scene. This is the Aaron Rodgers. This is the Tom Brady. This is someone when the defense attacks, he knows how to respond. And yet in these days, every time he's taking the ball, he's getting hit. His teammates don't seem to either care or they're not noticing what's happening. And he's bringing this word to us. And what's unique about this prophet is most of the prophets speak on God's behalf to the people. And they, they say, hey, this is where you need to fix things. This is where it's not working. What Habakkuk does is he speaks in some ways on the people's behalf and he's directly addressing God. And his language isn't reverent. Uh, his language isn't in a sense God honoring. There are moments where he says, oh God, I love you. You know, you are my God, you are my savior. And yet much of it is filled with anxiety. It's filled with anger and frustration. Habakkuk shows us how the desperate soul of a righteous man or woman wrestles with God. He doesn't necessarily teach us what to pray, but he does show us in a sense how we should pray. And in verse 12, you know, he goes on and he asks this question of God. He says, are you not from everlasting? In a sense, that's an insult. He's saying, God, I thought you were powerful. I thought you were great. Why have you allowed these things to happen? What I love about Habakkuk and often in scripture is I love his honesty. He's not trying to hide what he feels. He's not trying to hide his frustrations. He's not hiding his anger. Rather, he's taking his desperation and he's being desperate in God's presence. And I think in times of difficulty, what the church needs and often what the world needs to see is honesty. I think as Christians, sometimes we we suppress our emotions. I think we believe, you know, hey, to be a good Christian, I can't get angry at God. I can't show my frustrations. If there's sin in my life, I can't be honest about that because the fact is, you know, good Christians don't get angry. Good Christians don't sin and do those kinds of things. And sometimes in days of difficulty, what we do is instead of being honest, we suppress. We're not honest with others. We're not honest in God's presence. And what happens in those moments is that leads to greater destruction. In some ways, it's like pouring water into a gas tank. What's gonna happen, what's gonna come out of that isn't going to be good. And Habakkuk leads us in a pathway of being healthy in God's presence, of responding to him in ways that are honest. And in this book, what we're gonna see is, is really a, a process that Habakkuk goes through this, this time of maturity, you might say. In chapter one, what we see is his questions to God. And he asked two questions in two different uh, 
prayers. And he says, you know, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And then in chapter two, what we see is God's response. And God reminds Habakkuk who he is, and he reminds him of his promises. And then finally in chapter three, what we see is his faith is rekindled. His joy is revitalized and his trust in God is increased. Now, I'd like to believe that this is a process. Chapter one, we see that first moment of reaction. We're asking God, why, why is this happening? We're wrestling with him, maybe even doubting his goodness. In chapter two, we dive into God's character and his promises. And then what we see in chapter three is Habakkuk's faith is rekindled, his love for God is deepened, and his trust is anchored in God's promises. And I think in this story, we see the progress of the human soul as we go through difficulty and hardship. In the beginning, we question. The next place we go to is we need to listen. The third place we go to is anchoring our soul in a place of trust. As we walk through this series, I hope you'll follow along and, and maybe identify in your own life what stages you're at. Uh, maybe you're at a stage of questioning. Some of us are at that stage of really pressing into God's character and his promises. And others are at a state of just rejoicing. I've even sensed that among others today. They're saying, hey, let's turn the page, let's go on. Uh, I sense that. In this story, we see these three different stages and we need to ask the question as we're walking through difficult times, where are we? Are we in that place of difficulty? Are we in that place of diving deeper into his presence? Are we in that place of trust? God, why do we see these awful times? You know, this, uh, this uh, excuse me, this prophet reminds me of a moment in the story of the Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Ring. A lot of bad things had happened and Frodo is speaking to Gandalf and he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time meaning I wish these days hadn't come. I wish I didn't have to go through these difficulties. And I love how Gandalf responds. He says, so do I. And so, all, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given. The question is, what are we going to do with the time that's given? Habakkuk guides us in that process. And here's the first thing I want us to, to take away from this. Times like this can be both a blessing and a curse. Times like this can bring a blessing into our life, but they also can be a curse. The blessing is that these days expose us. I think they show us our limitations. They reveal our frustrations. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter four, blessed are you, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now he's not saying it's good to be poor or it's good to mourn or it's good to be hungry, but he's saying in our weakness, there is an opportunity to rely on God's strength. In our poverty, there is an opportunity to experience God's provision. In our mourning, there's an opportunity to be overwhelmed by his comfort. In our hunger, there's an opportunity to be satisfied with his character. He's saying in each time, in each moment of weakness, there's an opportunity to uh, admit we are weak and to allow God to fill that void. Paul said God's grace is sufficient for us, for his power is perfected in weakness. And he goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so the power of Christ 
can dwell in me. In times of difficulty, there can be a blessing in our weakness, we can see his strength. But also I think in times of difficulty, there can also be in a sense a curse. Times of hardship can draw us into those things that wreck life. Instead of allowing God to speak in his strength, we can run to things that we know are not going to bring the hope in the renewal that we're looking for. And in a sense, we can suppress how we feel and push those things out instead of truly trusting and relying upon God. See, in times of difficulty, there's both an opportunity to rely on God's strength, but we also have to be careful. And that's where we need, probably more than any other time, a sense of community. People around us who are checking in on us, asking us how we're doing, allowing that community and sense of accountability, love, support be in our lives. And so I wanna encourage you this week, if you haven't begun to reach out to people that you miss, would you start doing that this week? Would you be in a sense a shepherd asking people, how are they doing? What's going on? What have you been learning during this time? As we begin to hopefully start to come out of this season, let's start reconnecting with each other and speaking truth into each other's lives. So Habakkuk is gonna show us that in times of difficulty, there is both a blessing, but there can also be a curse. But second, when pain and doubt enter our life, I think we also have this unreal opportunity to dive deeper into God's character and into his promises. In times of difficulty, we have this great opportunity to dive deeper into his character and his promises. You know, there's some amazing passages as we walk through this book. One is in chapter two, verse 14, and it says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Four times in the New Testament, this verse is quoted. And it's essentially saying in times of difficulty, the righteous are those who don't rely on their wisdom. They rely on God's wisdom. Instead of entrusting in what they see, they trust in what God sees. The righteous live by faith, which is not a cop out to say, hey, the righteous don't think or they don't trust. No, the righteous lean the weight of their lives and their decisions upon God in times of difficulty. The righteous live by faith. And then at the end of chapter two, verse 18, it says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal Im image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You know, in the last few weeks I've discovered it's much easier to be busy than simply to be silent. Because in silence and stillness, I think the things that we, we turn to, we replace God with the gold, the silver, the wooden things, the idols of our culture, they, they're loud. I don't know if you've experienced that. In times of silence, those idols, those things we run to and replace God with, they're often quite loud. And what we need is simply to be still, to be silent in his presence and to know that he's with us. The last verse I wanna take, take you to is the end of this book in Habakkuk chapter three, verse 17, as Habakkuk's faith and trust and hope in God is rekindled, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive tree fail and the fields yield no food. 
the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. He's saying my worst case scenario has happened. And yet notice, he says in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. See, the tradition that Habakkuk walks in is this tradition, this genre of literature called lament. Sometimes the most appropriate response for us is simply to lament. There's a whole tradition, both in the Psalms, you see it in Jeremiah, see it in the book of Lamentations. You also see it in Jesus in the New Testament of simply acknowledging the difficulty of our times. Now in lamentation, it's not simply lamenting about how bad my life is. That's more of a, a selfish lamentation, which God certainly welcomes. No, lamentation is when you see the struggle of the world. You ask God why, and the answer you get back is either silence or it's not satisfying. In scripture, God says the appropriate response is simply for us to cry out. You see this in the life of Jesus. As he approaches Jerusalem, the city of God, as he sees the people, he notices their condition and he cries out. And when he saw, he, Jesus drew near to the city, he wept over it. Jesus saw the brokenness of the people and it led him to cry out in God's presence. And as Christians, we are supposed to be known as those who weep with those who weep. You see, we don't evaluate why people weep and determine whether this person's grief is worthy of our tears. We're not supposed to evaluate the suffering that people go through. Rather, as Christians, we should be that gentleness and compassion moving out into the world as God came into our lives to incarnate his love and his grace, meeting us where we are. In this time, this is a great opportunity for the church, not simply to demand rights and to push our agendas, but to meet people in their hardships. Not to evaluate whether those hardships are worthy of weeping, but rather bringing compassion and gentleness into this world as God has brought compassion and gentleness into our lives. That compassion is the greatest living argument that we can bring. And we see that throughout this story. Then in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, there's an opportunity to draw deeper into God's presence. As the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, it's in the light of God's presence. It's in the light of who he is that we get clarity and we get a sense of hope for what God is doing in the world. See, Habakkuk teaches us in times of difficulty, there's both a blessing and a trial. In times of difficulty, there's an opportunity to dive deeper into God's presence. But lastly, he's gonna show us even when God seems silence in times of difficulty, when we cry out to him, he promises that he hears us. God responds. There is good news, even when life is wrecked, God is near to the brokenhearted. He is close to those who cry out in humility towards him. And to be honest, what we see in the story of Habakkuk is the evidence of grace. You see, Habakkuk is much more bold He's in some ways irreverent in God's presence. He's more bold than the religious types. But on the other hand, he's not like the secular who runs away from God and says, hey, there's nothing to offer in God's presence. No, he's bold in God's presence because he knows he's not accepted based on what he's done. See, he's accepted based on God's covenant, God's grace. 
that he is more loved and accepted than he could imagine. So therefore in God's presence, he's not worried about saying it right. His ultimate goal is about being right. And in being right in God's presence, sometimes we have to be honest about where we are. That's an evidence of grace. But the second side of grace is he doesn't run from God. He knows his desperate and understands his desperate need for God. And so what we see in this passage in verses five through 11, we see God's response to Habakkuk. We see him respond to what's going on. And here's what he's gonna say. We're gonna discover this more next week. God's gonna say, it's gonna get much worse. Now, hopefully that's not in our day, it's in Habakkuk's day. But in verses five through 11, he says, Habakkuk, I know you think that things are bad, but I want you to understand it's gonna get worse before it's going to get better. In a sense, the dialogue between Habakkuk and God is somewhat comical because Habakkuk comes to God and he says, God, why would you allow this to happen? And God says, listen, if I showed you and if I revealed to you what's happening, you wouldn't trust me. And Habakkuk says, hey, I, I wanna see it. God shows it to him. And Habakkuk says, you're right, I don't understand what you're doing. And God says, yeah, see, you wouldn't understand the ways that I'm working in your life today. Even if I showed it to you, even if I revealed the big picture, it wouldn't make sense. And often in life, as we go through scripture, we find those same storylines. Even if God revealed to us exactly what was happening in the moment and why he was doing things, as we look at it, it may not make sense to us. It's in some ways like trying to explain electricity to a five-year-old. Five-year-old sees that hole in the wall. They have, they have a fork and it looks like a great idea just to stick the fork into the wall and to see what happens. And as a parent, you may step in and try to explain, but listen, there's this invisible force in the wall. And when you stick that fork into the hole, that force is gonna jump on the fork and it's liable to kill you. Now, if that child hears that explanation, more than likely he's gonna think, hey, why do you hate me? Why aren't you giving me what I want? You must, the explanation doesn't make sense. And in the same way as we trust in God, often the explanation or what we see might happen or what's going on, it may not make sense to us even if God explained it to us. And so in verse five, here's how God responds. He says to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. And I love that. Because he's saying to Habakkuk, you can't see past the wall in front of you. And yet you wanna lecture me about how life should go. You've lived 45 years and you wanna question my wisdom. He, he, he says, don't judge me by your agenda and by your timetable. Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look, to see, to wonder and to be astounded that God is doing something new in his day. And in that newness, there is a need to dive deeper into his presence, deeper into who he is, and to know that God indeed is worthy to be trusted. In times of difficulty, we need to know the character, the character of God. Now, how do we know his character? How does he reveal it to us? I think ultimately what Habakkuk points me to is the story of the cross, the story of what Jesus has done for us that coming into the world, Jesus confounded the religious leaders. He did not show up the way that people expected. He was from the wrong community. He gathered the wrong kind of people. Instead of uh, vanquishing the enemies of the people, he in a sense welcomed them. He brought them in, he loved them, he cared for them. Uh, and then in the end, he was rejected. He was crucified. And as the disciples looked at the cross, they had to say, God, how long? 
How long will you allow this to happen? Why would you allow such evil to overtake such goodness? And yet it was out of the confusion of the cross that came the hope and the renewal of the resurrection. See, Habakkuk can't see the bigger story. Often we can't, certainly the disciples in the New Testament couldn't. But what we can see as we look back on the story of Habakkuk is we can see how God used this period of difficulty in the life of the nation of Israel. So when the Babylonians came, as we see in verses five to 11, he says the Chaldeans are gonna come and they're gonna take you off into exile. Habakkuk had to look at that and say, God, why would you allow such an evil nation to rob us of that which is good? It didn't make sense. And yet through this period, it's called the exile in the Old Testament. The Israelites were taken off into Babylon. And after the exile, now many came back. Many came back to Jerusalem. They restored the city. They restored the temple. And yet many also stayed. They stayed in what was called the diaspora. They were spread throughout this wider region. Now, when Jesus came, because uh, these Jews had been spread throughout these regions, you now had synagogues all across the world. And with these synagogues, they had these God-fearing pagans. Pagans that worshiped the God of Israel, that were enthralled with who he was. And when Jesus showed up, it was the synagogues and the God-fearing Greeks and the pagans that heard the gospel message of what God had done. And they were the ones through the synagogues who took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, trying to explain that to Habakkuk from ahead of time, hey, this is what's gonna happen. This guy's gonna show up and he's gonna be the Messiah. He's gonna die on the cross. It wouldn't have made sense. But seeing it from a distance from history, we can see how God took the brokenness of Habakkuk's life and brought life and truth through it. That's the story of the gospel. In Romans chapter eight, verse 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He's not saying that all things that come into your life are good. What he's saying is that all things that come into our life, God uses for the good to show his glory and to use it into our lives to draw us to him. Because in the end, here's the promise. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, if God was willing to meet our greatest need in a time where we didn't realize what that need was, but through Jesus to meet our greatest need on the cross, why would he not also in our time of difficulty be one that meets our need today and one in whom we can deeply trust? Hey, as we walk through this time, let us encourage each other. Let us be those that speak into each other's lives. And and maybe sometimes we need to say, hey, what's going on? Are we using this time to strengthen ourselves, to to draw deeper into God? Or are we using this time in some ways just to, to be still before the world and allowing those things to capture our mind and our soul instead of allowing this time to push us deeper into God's character, into God's promise? Hey, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that, um, I thank you, Father, in times of difficulty, you do not abandon us. You tell us as far as the East and the West, you've already separated our brokenness, our sin from us. And Father, you love us with an everlasting love. And yet you tell us we are your children. You are our Father. And as children, our our need is to trust you. Uh, Father, we want to understand, we want to wrestle 
We want to know why certain things and events have happened. And yet greater than that, greater than that is the one that just simply doesn't lean on their own understanding. But because of what you've revealed through Jesus Christ, your goodness, we want to learn to trust in you. Father, in these days, help us to rest in who you are, to rest in your promises. And Father, even now, I pray that you'll begin to remind us of the promises that you've given us, that we would anchor our soul in who you are. And in that, Father, find that our foundation is firm. Guide us into these things we ask. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.